Good morning. Sorry, a little unorganized here. Uh, so this morning we're going to be reading in the book of Acts, uh, verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we're going to skip around a little bit and jump down to 22 through 24, and then once again 37 through 41. So um, just follow along and we'll make the best of it. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, I'm sorry. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Moving down to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Amen. Going back down, uh, continuing to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of God. Thanks, Pam. Would you say a quick prayer with me just to bless the word? Lord, Spirit, be present now. Open our hearts and minds to your truth, to this story of the early church in Acts. And draw us to yourself and show us the pattern of disciple making that you give in the word for your people for all time and places. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we're in the middle of our series called The Disciple-Making Church. And we began with question one a few weeks back. Why make disciples? This was the big why behind our mission from Jesus. And it wasn't just because Jesus said so, although that's powerful enough in and of itself. 
We also saw that it was God's grand plan for all of humanity and history that we looked at in that chart to rescue a people from the kingdom of darkness by transferring them to the kingdom of light. Through the work of Jesus on the cross in the middle there, with the grand goal being to gather them around Jesus on the throne forever. Then last week, David did so, such a fantastic job answering the question, what is a disciple? How would we define a, a, a disciple? And we learned that a disciple is an individual that has been born again by the Spirit through repentance and faith and has become an apprentice, is the word we used, or a learner of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. We like the word apprentice because it implies more than just head learning, but also head, heart, and hands, all of life, an apprentice. Well, today we're going to talk about how are disciples made and through what means is God rescuing and transforming people. That's what we're going to do today. And we're going to answer the question by looking at the Acts pattern, which is why we read chapter 2 of Acts, and by looking at four-letter P's today. Four P's, just easy to remember. So hopefully you've got your outline, your scripture there as we jump into this message and answer the question, how are disciples made? Well, this past week, I guess a week, two weeks ago, my family and I were able to go uh, to Disney World on a trip, the Magic Kingdom. We had a great time, fantastic couple days there, great weather, short lines, I guess it's February, maybe that's why. And we weren't aware, but it was also the 50th anniversary of Disney World, so we got to have that experience as well. I didn't know that. And in the evening, because of that 50th anniversary, you can see there actually the 50 on the castle there, in the middle there, um, they put on this incredible show right there in front of the castle, actually, actually on the castle. They projected on the castle cartoons, must have been really powerful projectors to show up on that castle, but they did, with fireworks and uh, just uh, really uh, great music and just all kinds of spectacle there. And it was really actually quite amazing. And there were thousands of people standing there in front of that castle facing it. I almost kind of as I sat, was sitting there, it almost felt like a congregation kind of standing there in front of this castle. Now, if you're Disney and you have this window of opportunity on your 50th anniversary and every night of that year, that 50th anniversary year, thousands gather in front of your landmark uh, iconic image, this castle, to watch your show and hear your message. Would you capture that moment? Yeah, you better believe, wouldn't you? I mean, that's a captured moment there. And Disney did. Here we all were there, watching clips of movies we love, having our hearts and emotions kind of pried open as we, all these stories we grew up on watching, Lady and the Tramp, Peter Pan, Little Mermaid, Mary Poppins, Frozen, all these stories. It was prime, perfect moment for Disney to communicate what they wanted for maximum impact in that moment. We were ready. Our hearts were open. Emotions were pried, used to pry, kind of, it just got to us. And here was the message from the theme song that blared over the loudspeakers throughout the show. Make a wish upon a star, close your eyes and just believe. You've traveled from so far, now you're close enough to feel it. 
with a smile on your face and a song in your heart, this is where you're meant to be. Make a wish upon a star. The magic is here. It's here for you and me. Take a magical carpet ride. Travel to Neverland. Just believe that you can. Let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Cricket, right? Because it's there inside. If you believe that you can, that it's possible tomorrow, let your heart guide the way and all your dreams will follow. Doesn't matter where you are because the spark is in your heart. Wherever you go, you can have it because you're the magic. You're the magic and you're the magic. Now, I'm not saying don't go to Disney. I'm not saying boycott Disney. (laughs) Plenty of some denominations have done that and run with it. I'm not saying don't go to Disney. I'm not saying don't watch Disney movies. What I am showing you, though, is in that moment, Disney was making disciples. That's what they were doing. They were making apprentices, learners of Disney. And Disney's message, it's all about you. In fact, you don't even need to do anything or need anything outside of you. All that you have is inside of you already. This was transformational learning going on. That's what was taking place in that moment. You see, Christians aren't the only ones trying to make disciples. That's what I want you to hear and see this morning. Not don't go to Disney. Go to Disney, have fun. But Christians aren't the only ones trying to make disciples. Everyone is trying to convert you to something. A thousand advertisers are going to be doing it in a couple hours. Everyone's trying to convert you to something. Everyone's trying to disciple you in their way. You've been hit by thousands of messages in your life. And some of them have gotten through to us, haven't they? Some of them have gotten through to us, and some of them have shaped us in ways we can't even see and we can't even know anymore. And as if I read these lyrics and you didn't really maybe see the problem with those lyrics, maybe that's one that got through to you that you've been discipled to. David challenged us last week to unlearn the things that we've learned that are, are, are false, that are uh, opposed to God's word. Unlearn those and then apprentice and learn and follow under the way of Christ. If Disney understands this, we better too, right? How do we make disciples? Does God have a plan for this? There's a pattern there in Disney's lyrics. You're the magic, you're the magic, you're the magic. It's inside you. Follow your heart, follow your conscience. There was a pattern there. It was emotions and repetition that Disney used. Well, there's actually a pattern in the Bible for us that God gave us to make disciples. We have a pattern too. And we're going to look at it, a pattern of how disciples are made. So let's start there. It's the Acts pattern. It's why we read in chapter 2 to start our sermon today. The Acts pattern we're going to see as we look at discipleship in the Scripture is to be our pattern still today, 2,000 years later, for making disciples. The context for our Scripture reading today in Acts 2, was Peter at Pentecost preaching his first sermon as the Holy Spirit has descended upon them inside this room in a powerful way and launched them out of the room in ministry. Peter begins a pattern in chapter 2 of Acts that would continue all throughout the book of Acts. Let's look at the pattern this morning. The setting here in which the the Holy Spirit is the primary actor, yes, Peter preaches, yes, the people respond in repentance and faith, and yet the Holy Spirit is the primary agent and actor in this setting. He comes upon the disciples in a unique way, and Peter stands up in front of the people 
And did you catch that? People from all nations, as Pam did a great job pronouncing those uh, nations for us, all the nations were in town for Pentecost, which really there is a snapshot of basically the entire Roman world at that time, is what um, the writer Luke was getting at in Acts. They're all there. And Peter stands up and he preaches to them the gospel. It is the first part of the pattern. Preach the gospel. This is the primary step, and we see Peter do it there. And actually, the the ongoing message of discipleship is the gospel. It is the message of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? What has he done? And how should that transform us? We're going to read again in Acts 1, 22-24. This is what happens when the pastor forgets his Bible. He rips the pink one out of his daughter's hand a second before he's about to come up on stage. So I get a pink Bible today, and Evangeline gets nothing. Sorry, Evangeline. But you can share with Genevieve there. Uh, What are we talking about? Acts 1. Acts Acts 2, sorry. Acts chapter 2, not even chapter 1. Chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, he gives the gospel. Men of Israel, hear these words. That's pretty like, hey, pay attention. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, you know him, you saw him, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Well, guess what? God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter gives this great summary statement of the gospel there. This specific man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God proved him with mighty works and miracles. Many of you here today saw them, Peter says. You saw it, and and God had a plan to work through this man. In fact, he predestined the plan to work through this man, to have this Jesus crucified, but you're still responsible, Peter says. It's an interesting theological conundrum there. We don't have time to go into today. But he says this Jesus was dead, and raised back to life, defeating sin and death. We saw it. We saw it with our eyes. It's true. And what happens? The gospel's preached in the pattern, and what happens next is disciples are made. Look down at verses 37 to 41. They were cut to the heart, it says there. They heard it. They were cut to the heart. And what do we do? Peter says, repent. Be baptized. They're cut to the heart. By who? The Holy Spirit does a work there. Using the gospel, using the word in the pattern, and they repent seeking forgiveness, verse 38 says, and 3,000 souls were added and baptized that day. So gospel preached, disciples made. So then what? Have a nice life? Great, we got you in the kingdom. Will you set a prayer, a notch on the belt? A number added to a roster. No, 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 no. Verse 42, look at that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, praying. Disciples are built up as the next stage of that pattern. Gospel preached, disciples made, disciples built up. They devote themselves, Scripture says, to lifelong apprenticeship learning, transformational learning, 
But I can guarantee you the, the message wasn't that the magic was in you. It was that salvation is found under no other name than Jesus Christ. That was the message. Jesus Christ. So they are gospel preached, they are made, they are built up, and then the pattern we see is they persevere. Disciples then persevere. Ongoing. That means then that ongoing building up and equipping is needed to continue. Why is that? Because even though on that chart we see we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you see, you remember the chart with the cross in the middle? Guess what? Even though we're transferred to a new kingdom, what kingdom do we still live in? We still live in the kingdom of darkness. So that means that we're going to face temptations and trials and ongoing temptation and ongoing sin and tragedy is going to strike and pain is going to come. So we have to persevere. And so we equip and build up each other because we still struggle in this dark world, even though we're transferred as new kingdom citizens. The disciples needed each other. And Acts 2 goes on to say they, they shared things. They live a life, a common life. And church for them really wasn't a building they went to. It was in someone's home. So it's very intimate and personal as they equipped one another, as life would come at them. This is the initial pattern we see in the early church. Gospel preached, disciples made, disciples built up and equipped, disciples persevere. That's why we're calling our classes now in the first hour before church equip class. Because it's not just a seminar, it's not just knowledge, it's not just learning, it's, it's, it's transformational learning. To be made into a disciple, to be given skills and be equipped to do this thing we're called to do together. So consider joining us next Sunday at 9 for that class. It's part of discipleship. And the initial patterns actually repeated all over the book of Acts and in Paul's New Testament letters. God's word and spirit do a work in people. Those people band together and do the same thing, being built up and encouraged and they seek more disciples. In your growth groups this week, you're going to do an exercise with 1 Thessalonians to look at and see the same pattern is there. The same pattern's there too, not just in Acts, but in 1 Thessalonians. But while this gives us the Acts pattern, real quick, in this quick kind of overview of chapter 2, and therefore a pattern for us, we could unpack a little more the methodology, just a bit more. And we're going to do that today, in the second half today. What, what was the method? What was the way in which this was done, this, this pattern here? We're going to frame this and describe it in a way that I hope will be as easy and as memorable as possible. Through all this Vine Project stuff you hear us talking about and all the, 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 the discipleship language and things we're talking about, if you were to remember these four-letter P's, like two or three years from now, then this would be a huge success, a huge win, a huge blessing for our church. Well, we want to frame it in an easy and memorable way. And we, people like, we do that, don't we? Alliteration, uh, acronyms, acrostic, you know, we use things. Why do we do that? Well, to build a culture, you need a common language. Or we can't communicate, Right? A common vocabulary and simple and memorable helps us do that. You can think of some, the Acts prayer model, adoration, confession, 
thanksgiving or thankfulness, yeah, and, and supplication requests. NASA, don't know what it stands for, but I know it means the space people. <laughs> NFL, and our favorite, IRS, that's a good one, right? We like to use acronyms and ways to remember things. Well, for how disciples are made, we're going to use the letter P to help us, to look at the methodology and making of disciples. We'll call them four Ps even, you might say. Four letter Ps, which are God's means of making disciples. And really what we're doing, we're just going to take the axe pattern and make it more concrete. This has been really helpful for our Vine Project team, that team you saw in the picture earlier, for kind of evaluating and looking at currently who we are as a church. And as you look at these, guess what? They're not going to be very sexy. <laughs> They're not going to be very flashy. And you might even say, well, yeah, I kind of already knew that. But how many of us would say we fully have a grasp on discipleship or how to do it or that we've arrived as a disciple? Probably none of us. I couldn't. And how many of you feel totally equipped as you've been, we've been going through this series going like, yeah, I feel totally equipped to be a disciple who makes disciples. The challenge, I think, for us as we come to these four-letter Ps, I think is that sometimes we just think it can't be that simple there's got to be more to it. We like to complex, make things more complex too. It's got to be more than that. So we, we lose sight in the church or in our personal lives of what really matters. What God has said really matters. Or here's the other problem. We might know these things, and yet we don't practice them. That might be more likely for us. And for the church in general, not just Bethany, not picking on us, but just the church and humans in general. That's probably more likely. We know these things, and yet we don't practice them. And yet we think back on Disney. They know you have to practice your message if you want it to sustain. You have to embed your message into people's lives if you want it to go forward after you're gone. And guess what? Walt Disney is gone, isn't he? We saw the statue of him sitting there. And yet the kingdom he built is more powerful than ever, isn't it? The message went on. They practice it. You might hear these ten, four Ps and think, oh, that's cute. Look at the four Ps. Pastors are always trying to sell us something or get extra biblical and bring in these ideas. Here's what I want to say. Yeah, we're using four Ps, but these are God-ordained means. This is God's methodology because it's all over the Bible. Of course, we can communicate it in different ways, but this is how God says disciples are made. So let's look at it. Here's our first P. First one's this, just proclamation. Proclaiming the word is the most basic means for building apprentices of Christ, disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, from our little kids that just left to our oldest saint in this room. This is how apprentices of Christ are grown. This is how we make disciples. We have this divinely inspired pink book. We've got it. We have the word of God. The story of God's work in the world from time past to, to, to time today to time future. His redeeming work. And the book of Acts makes this so clear that the word does the work. Here's a few references. There are I think on your outline, and you'll look at them in your growth groups, but just look how the word pops. And the word of God continued to increase. 
And the number of the disciples multiplied. So word is applied. Disciples are multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 13. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The word. The word of God. And finally, another one. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's never wise to eat nuts before you preach. <laughs> At Bethany, a shorthand for this is this. We're, we're, we're gospel-centered. That's kind of how we say it here. We're a gospel-centered church. We believe that the word, the message of God's word, the crucified Christ for sinners, raised, ascended, coming again, is what does the work. Acts shows us that. The pattern's there. It's repeated there. This is how disciples are established and grown. So we update our chart for today. We'll see the four Ps. You get a little preview there even. But there's our first one, God's word. We proclaim it. That's what the far from Jesus need over here, way out there. That's what the person needs here who's on this side growing and maybe just about to face death and go to Jesus or living a life of 30, 40 years as a disciple. The word of God all across the continuum there. That is the primary foundation, the gospel of how disciples are made. It's Peter's speech from Acts 2. That's what cut them to the heart, the message about Jesus. Yes, the Spirit applied that message, and it would be dead without him, but the message was the gospel. That's why at Bethany Church we preach through texts. That's why we preach through books for our primary diet. That's why we take every Old Testament story and try to get it to Jesus. That is the primary methodology for making disciples. You might say it this way, we mine the gospel here. That's what we do. That's what we want to be about. We mine the gospel for truths every Sunday, and we look at it in fresh ways from fresh and different texts, Old Testament and New. And we apply it then to our lives together in this group, in growth groups, and over coffee, or what number of ways we apply it in unique ways together. That is how we grow. That's how you are shaped and formed as a disciple. We've used this image before, but I like it. It makes us really kind of get a picture, a visual picture, that the gospel is like a multifaceted diamond. You see one on the screen behind me. None of us have probably ever touched one that big or valuable, probably. But as you look at a diamond, what happens? And you take it and you turn it, whether it's in a little uh, tweezers or in a ring you have, you see the different surfaces of it. And when you do that, the different surfaces reflect or refract the beauty in different ways. And it just looks different however you turn it. Or one of those kaleidoscope things, remember those? Or you, you turn it and inside the things all swirl around. That's kind of like the gospel, and we do that every week. We take it and we turn it, and we look at one different angle of it, whether it's through Abraham, through Isaac, or through Jacob, or through Peter, Paul, and Jesus. We look and through them, we go towards this message of Jesus Christ, and we see the different surfaces on the diamond. And we do it through the Word. And when we use the Word, when we come to the Word, we actually don't read it. Yes, we read it, but it actually reads us. 
That's what it does when it makes disciples. And it shows us, the Spirit takes it and shows us the beauty of Jesus. And and one more way to apply the gospel and grow, week in and week out. Like I said, it's not very sexy, but it's what God has chosen to use. It's his mode. That is why the first letter P is so foundational. Because even though we might not believe that the spark and the magic is inside of us, we need something outside of us. You need something outside of your own thoughts, mind, and heart to correct you and guide you and change you. I do too. It can't all be inside you already or we're in big trouble, aren't we? We're in big trouble. We need something outside to correct, guide, form, and shape us. Why do you think we sat there and heard that song blaring over the loudspeakers? They knew we have to shape them. We have to shape them. It was at the 2018 Golden Globes that Oprah Winfrey, when she was receiving her Lifetime Achievement Award, said her infamous take on truth. Here's what she said. She said, what I know for sure, that's pretty strong language, What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we have. What a fantastic communicator. I mean, in that line, she is. I mean, that's her job. That's her life. What a fantastic communicator. Look at that. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we have. You could not have summarized or crafted a better one-line vision statement. I mean, look at that. Your truth. Those two words now are so woven into American lexicon and culture that most people don't realize how sad and devastating they are. It's just kind of common language now. Your truth. You look at social media all over the place. Look at different books, self-help books coming out. Your truth. Your truth leads to absolutely countless moments of devastation. It sounds liberating and freeing, doesn't it? Yeah, you hear that? Oprah, she's an authority. She, you, you might even call her the high priestess of our pop culture. That's what she is. It sounds freeing and liberating, but you know what? It's actually just another form of bondage to your own will, heart, conscience, the spark inside you, as Disney said. And you know what? We grow weary, actually, and burdened under the weight of our own sovereignty because you weren't meant to be sovereign. But that's the message here. You are sovereign. Your truth is what leads a dad or mom to abandon their family for the companion of a new woman or man. Your truth is what's made it absolutely plausible that our genders can be changed. That is, that's the message that's made it plausible. Your truth keeps us from from, from reconciliation when we've wronged or wronged someone else. Your truth leads to loneliness and breakdown of discipleship in churches because we don't need others. I have my truth. The magic is actually not in you. The truth is in God's word and it does the work. That's it. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He said this. He said, take me, for example. I mean, he was a towering figure of history. And we, we, we talk about church history turning on a linchpin in his era. He said, take me, for example. 
I opposed indulgences. It was a Catholic paying for forgiveness with money. And, and all papists, that's popes. But never by force. He said, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then when I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip of Amsdorf, my kind of guy, the word so greatly, he said, weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. Do you see the contrast there between Oprah and Luther? <laughs> I did nothing. The word did it all. The word did the work when Luther proclaimed it. Well, you think, okay, well, that's great, and I agree, and I'm so glad, Pastor, that you get up every week and preach and proclaim sermons, but I can't do that. I want to reframe that for us this morning. I want to reframe that for you by saying, we can and you can proclaim it in all kinds of ways and modes. All kinds. Proclaiming the word doesn't just mean the formal preaching of God's word. It's not less than that, and this is kind of the centerpiece of what we do as a church, but it's so much more than that. Take a look at this slide. I just put a list of whatever, as I was brainstorming, came to my mind, but this is different ways and modes and settings. Sending a letter or verse to someone or a card like we're going to do today after church out there. Growth groups, we proclaim the word to one another when we say it and speak it. One-on-one -on -one Bible reading. In a conversation, asking, hey, what was the takeaway from you from a sermon today? At church, in the home, in the car, at work, over coffee, at Cutsforth, at the gym, at the swim center. We've got somebody watching online right now, I think, he's probably watching, who uh, has shared a number of stories with me that in the pool, at the Canby Swim Center, he's been able to share Jesus. Sunday school. Bible study, book study, preaching, teaching, praying, at bedtime, at dinner time, at breakfast. We sing the word. We, we pray the word. We read the word. Just, that's just a, a small sampling of most of those, probably everybody in this room, most of them, you could do. Conversation, you can do that. Pray for somebody, you can do that. Send a card to somebody that speaks about the word and truth. What if we were so full of the word, that our activity and, and our speaking of the word was, was more like this picture at Bethany Church, <laughs> a beehive, like a beehive of activity, not actually stepping on each other. I don't want to recommend that for us, <laughs> or overcrowding, <laughs> and not just busyness for the sake of busyness. I don't mean that by this showing this picture, not programs and events. I don't mean any of that stuff. There's a place for some of those at church, but, but, but proclamation, speaking the word to each other, saying truthful things to each other, even when it's uncomfortable, a flurry of activity and touch points where we proclaim the word to those who are far from God on the chart and those who are closer to God and those who are maybe right there. A flurry of activity. We might say, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. But then ask ourselves, if we believe that, why are we so slow to go to the word of God and all the daily struggles we have? Why, why are we so slow to, to, to speak it to each other? I mean, we're so afraid to, 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 to be 
unliked rather than loving. To speak the truth to one another, of course, in gentleness and love for the hope of seeing us all grow together as disciples. I think a lot of times I'd rather be liked more than loving. I got to admit that. It's an idol of mine. Mr. Nice Pastor Guy, friendly pastor guy, nice pastor guy. But what about loving? Loving and nice are not the same thing. There's overlap. I'd rather be liked than loving. It's the foundation proclaiming the word. It's why we spent the most time of of the four. And a healthy disciple-making church will have a culture that has an increasing amount of opportunities for people to proclaim the word to each other. Here's our second P. Prayerfully pleading with God's spirit. Independence for disciples to be made and matured. Proclamation, prayer. The second one. A healthy disciple-making culture and church will also have an increasing amount of prayerful pleading with God's spirit for disciples to be made and matured. Revival, salvation, regeneration, discipleship, growth is always preceded by prayer for God to work by his spirit. Always. That also is the pattern of the Bible, the pattern of Acts, the pattern of the New Testament letters. The spirit of Christ is who makes apprentices of Jesus. I can't, we can't express this enough here, actually. In 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12, I love how Peter lays out the gospel plan and he, he highlights the Holy Spirit's absolutely integral part in the mysterious working in the lives of his people. He says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time. There's the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he, the Spirit, predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, that's the prophets, the writers of Scripture, that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. And we're so lucky, the message says in this verse, we're so lucky that we've got this message that even angels can't get enough of. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ initiated the plan, spoke through the prophets about Jesus' suffering and glory, and now is in the proclaiming of the gospel. It's the Spirit's work from start to finish. And so that means then, at every point in the continuum of a life, from far away from Jesus to around the throne room of heaven, the Holy Spirit is active through our prayers from drawing someone far away to Christ to the rescuing and regeneration at the cross that transfers from one kingdom to another and all subsequent growth. So as you're at a Super Bowl party today, say a 15-second prayer in your mind for the person who's far from Jesus. You might activate the wheels of heaven like giant gears that are being turned. Maybe no one's ever prayed for that person ever in their life. And all of a sudden, this little 15-second prayer, this giant engine of heaven begins to come to and start. Who knows that may bring this person towards the kingdom? 
Spirit softens the hearts. He opens the eyes of a blind heart and gives the gifts of repentance and faith even to the individual. And his Spirit is present. He gifts us with spiritual gifts. He gives us the courage to speak the word and love to one another and boldness and conviction. But like Paul, we need to follow his example too to increasingly be pleading in prayer for the Spirit to do his work. Here's what he says in Colossians. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and salvation. Here's a question for you. Here's something we're going to be talking about in our six ways to love your church. What's going on in your mind and heart when you walk in from the parking lot on a Sunday morning? What if we were to think about, or driving to church even, What if we were just to capture those moments? I'm talking 30 seconds in the car where we just say, Lord, will you bring the people you want to come today? Lord, as I'm walking in, will you put in front of my eyes someone that needs prayer today? What if we just did that? Spirit, what do you want me to hear today? Will you you show it to me? Maybe some of you do that, but it's not my practice. I, I, I am driving in, walking in. I'm like trying to balance my coffee and three books in my shirt that I'm going to put on. But what if we had that mindset of Paul? I've not ceased since I've heard about you. Our level of belief in this second P, prayer for God's spirit to work, will show up either in a rich prayer life in Bethany Church or a prayerless life. So I started to pray in growth groups for those we know who are far from Jesus. And what if not only like our biblical Speaking of the word, what if prayer, Bethany Church, also looked like this, too, that beehive? What if we looked like this, not only in proclaiming, but pleading with the Spirit, do your work, Spirit? Let's look at our third P. This one might be the most obvious, but I think it needs to be highlighted, and we tend to forget it, too. We are people pulling together to live out our apprenticeship in love. Like I said, it's obvious, but God's people play an absolutely huge role in disciple-making. But it's not so obvious in a culture that says it's your truth, or a culture of individualism and self-sufficiency and the word autonomy, which just means you're a law unto yourself. Only the gospel can actually make you say, I need others, and really mean it, and truly mean it. Now, as we said, and we know, and you know this, discipleship And disciple-making is God's work. So we want to be careful. We don't want to overvalue the role we play as if you personally could take someone's hard heart and exchange it for a spiritual heart. We can't do that. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We know that. But we also don't want to undervalue. And I don't want to undervalue the fact that there's probably, there's a hundred disciple makers potentially sitting in this room right now. We don't want to undervalue it either. It's both 100% God's action and 100% ours. That's how the Bible presents it. We're God's fellow vine workers. We're, we're, we're fellow apprentices that need to apprentice others and pull together in the same direction. Because we know when we do that, like a, like a tug of war, we know when more people are pulling together, what happens? It happens. And when we live out our faith together, 
We're living like a transformational learning community. All together, people pulling together. As Pastor David said last week, we just don't learn for the sake of learning, right? But we learn for a purpose, to be transformed, to unlearn certain things like the magics in you and live out the commands of Christ as we imitate him and imitate each other. Paul says it all over the place. Imitate me, not because I'm so great or he's so great, but his mind is imitating, on imitating, set on imitating Christ. And when we're doing this well, proclaiming the word of God, prayerfully pleading together, together as people, he will form in us the godly fruit of love. Love. That's what we want to see here. My life and your life and our life. Love. Love is what motivates us. It's what motivates our deaconesses yesterday who came here on Friday and nobody knew about it and did a memorial service and helped and set up and tore down and, and loved on a family. Love is what makes us want to reach the lost with the gospel. Love is what makes us cease reconciliation when there's brokenness. Love's what drives us to put others first and think more highly of others than ourselves. Love's what makes us look at church as an opportunity, not just to, for my own spiritual fill-up, which it is, but an opportunity to serve others as well. And I don't mean just administratively. I mean build up, equip, proclaim, pray with each other, speak to one another, ask and listen, truly listen when we say, how are you really doing but that means being willing to say more than just, I'm great, doing good, stay at arm's length. No, listen and speak. Love. Love's what helps us persevere in this messy call to discipleship. Because it is. I've said this a lot of times. Church life is weird. It is weird. I think it's good to like be honest and talk about the elephant in the room. It's hard. It's messy. We all come from different backgrounds. We're all at different places on that spectrum of maturity. We all have different interests. Some of you can't wait to get home and watch the game, and some of you are like, I could care less. We all come from all kinds of different backgrounds. Love's what makes us stick together with glue. It's our final P, and we're sort of just talking about it. It's persevere. Love's what makes us persevere. The final P is we persevere together taking little steps most of the time, but sometimes big steps even in maturity towards Christ on that continuum until he returns. And so this is our call. This is our task. We persevere together as we take little steps and big steps along the way in maturity. So let's, let's go back to our chart to wrap up. Every one of us is somewhere on that line. Everybody in this room is somewhere on that line that starts on the left and hits the cross and goes to the crown. Maybe you're really far from Jesus today and you're here. You just feel far from him. You don't sense his presence. Maybe you don't even, wouldn't even call yourself a believer of Jesus. Maybe you're somewhere a little bit closer trying to figure him out. I know we have a couple new believers in the past few years that have come to trust Christ. Uh, maybe you're over here and you've been growing for decades. I want to make this clear. All four of those letter P's, even though they've got arrows, all four of them are relevant for every area of every disciple's life. 
They don't go away. You don't mature from them. You don't move on. All four of them. We're going to be at different places of maturity. We are. We're going to each struggle with different sins and different idols, and we're going to all need to unlearn different things probably. But if we can simplify now, if we can simplify apprenticing under Jesus as helping any person we know, even just take one step, even if it's a tiny little step, a small step towards Jesus, using those four Ps, proclaim and speak in informally, not just formally, proclaiming the word in prayer, pleading with the Spirit to do that work, being with that person or people in relationship and building on that, and then sticking it out for the long haul, persevering. If we can reframe it that way, that's something everyone in this room can do. It's not just for the paid professional. We're not calling everyone to become a preacher in Bethany Church. I'm not even calling everyone to become like a super evangelizer. What if we just made it a little more simpler and concrete? Can you speak the truth to someone? Yes. Can you pray for someone's salvation and growth? Yes. Can you build relationships with others as, as people to, to draw others to Jesus or to see others that are already with Jesus in the church grow? Absolutely. Can you persevere in it? Even if it's messy? With the power of the Spirit, you can. Yes. One step at a time. That's all we're asking. Not, not to become a preacher up front here. If you want to, come talk to me. We can talk. <laughs> but helping people take little steps with confidence that God will work because salvation is from God. That God will work with the pattern that he and the mode that he has established. We're, we're using four-letter Ps, but I mean, it's the pattern that he's always used. The worship team comes back up. Let us have the attitude of Paul in our disciple-making. Here it is. Persevere. Not that I've already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on. There's another P, hey. Press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, persevering toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, Paul says, think this way. And if, anything, if, any, if it, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Let's pray that for each other. Lord, let us grow in maturity so we think this way, that we will follow as Paul did, persevering, never giving up on the discipleship-making mission, seeking our role and our part in it, whether it's as simple as reading a book to our grandchild about Jesus or daily praying for the lost or, or establishing one-on-one -on -one Bible reading, coming to an equip class, getting in a growth group, or just asking in the gathering place of the church, what stood out to you from the message? May we become that mature people. And if not, as Paul has said, God, will you reveal it to us? Spirit, will you reveal it to us? Corporately and individually where we need to grow. Christ's name we pray. Amen.